Acts chapter 1, we'll try to power through it. And the title is The Ascension, right? The Ascension of Jesus. We're starting out in verse 9. Now, you guys, the ascension is something that is uh, often overlooked and neglected among Christianity. You know, we, we spend a lot of time on the Good Friday service, which is a really wonderful and great time of remembrance. We have such a celebration with the Easter lilies, you know, and the ham lunch brunch, you know, on Easter Sunday as we celebrate uh, the resurrection. I mean, the resurrection, you guys. Oh, can't say enough about the resurrection. But today we get to spend a little time thinking and pondering the ascension and what a wonderful act it is and how important it is right up there with Good Friday, right up there with Resurrection Sunday. Uh, you know, what we have is so much more than the inspiration of the 1980s movie, The Boy Who Could Fly. Anybody? Nobody saw The Boy Who Could Fly. You weren't the same generation. Nothing? It was more my sister's movie. She liked it. Um, guaranteed to make you cry and dream. Um, probably not on Elton John's mind. When he wrote, well, I think it's going to be a long, long time before touchdown brings me back again to find. I'm not the man they thought I was at home. No, 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 no. I'm a rocket man. As Jesus ascended up into heaven. No, I don't think that was on Elton John's mind. And many critics of uh, the scriptures kind of laugh at the ascension. They think it was something that was made up even within christian churches people neglect the ascension study so much that they just kind of poo-poo it you know uh or they think that it was something made up as if it needed to be in there only in maybe luke's account and uh, it was written by stott jesus had no need to take a journey into space and it is a silly of some critics to ridicule his ascension by representing him as the first cosmonaut you know, like they didn't put this in there like, oh, and before Jesus, um, you know, ascended to the throne room, he just had to pop above the atmosphere real quick to get a look around, you know, or he always wanted to be an astronaut growing up there in Jewish synagogue, you know. Uh, no, that, that's not why this is recorded. Um, there are some very important reasons, and we'll see as we move along, but Jesus himself referenced that he would ascend. In John chapter 20, verse 17, right after his resurrection, he says to Mary, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. Uh, I haven't yet ascended. He referenced that there would be a rising up more than just him from the grave, but from, as we used to sing, Lord, I lift your name on high. You came from heaven to earth to show the way, from the earth to the cross, my debt to pay. Anyone going back to the 90s about the time the boy that could fly came out? Okay. Um, from the cross to the grave, from the grave to the sky, Lord, I lift your name on high. Peter references the ascension in his Pentecost sermon, and he references it in his first epistle. He says in Acts 2.31, he foreseeing this spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, and that his soul would not be in le uh, left in Hades, nor his flesh see corruption. Uh, Paul frequently references Jesus' ascension to the supreme place of honor and of power 
And uh, it's an incredible passage here. Um, as we look at verse 9 and get into it, now when he'd spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. Now, as he spoke these things, uh, I'm sorry, I'm not going to talk about that today, what he spoke about. You guys get to go back to last week's sermon, get on our podcast, get on our YouTube, and listen to the things that Jesus spoke right before he is ascended, okay? So that's last week. Right now we're getting into that uh, what happened after he spoke these things. And we notice that they watched. You might just, if you have a little pen, maybe make a little dot or something, a little mark, that notice that they watched. <clears throat> At the end of the verse, this all happened in their sight. In verse 10, you might just note, they looked steadfastly. And then later the angels are going to say, why are you looking into the sky and then see him go to heaven? So five different times it's referenced that these disciples saw something happen with their eyes. Five different times it's referenced right here in this chapter that they are eyewitnesses of the ascension of Jesus. And that's an important thing. <coughs> uh, excuse me. Uh, regularly the apostles would speak about that they saw these things. Take my word for it, I saw it. And so they watched, and as they watched there in verse 9, he was taken up. Taken up, as Chrysostom put it, the royal chariot was sent for him. As he was taken up, we have this ascension, this taking up, this sort of a picture of a rapture, you know, this catching up, being taken up by the Father, an act of the Father towards the Son, and let me just give you, just in my notes, I believe I have six things here um, that as you read the New Testament, you see how important the ascension is, all right? Uh, number one, the ascension is a fitting end of a season of Jesus's earthly ministry. And it's a transition into his ministry from heaven. So it's really just that clear end of a chapter, okay? It's a needed end of the chapter okay the second thing is that it shows jesus sacrifice was accepted and that he truly was holy and allowed back into heaven so he was resurrected that was a vindication that he was god but if he would have ascended and then you know sort of as the deuteronomy speaks of the heavens became brass as he's on his way up like oh Oh, bummer, you know, like, coming back down to hang out longer with you guys, you know. Um, no, he's ascended up, he's received into the heavenly realm, and it's what is what is called the homecoming of Jesus. And you guys, this is such an exciting thing. You could only imagine, okay, as Psalm 40 speaks of uh, the words of Jesus before he took on flesh that sacrifice and offering you don't desire from me he says to the father but a body you've prepared for me hebrews 10 quotes it as well a body you prepared for me and so jesus had a body prepared for him and it's a very Christmassy passage he comes down and is placed by the holy spirit in mary's womb and he's clothed in flesh he's dropped a uh, draped in flesh um <clears throat> and uh and then now he goes back up into heaven 
And there's this great rejoicing that the rescue plan of heaven had happened and that it was uh, validated and that it was accepted. And it's something that Peter tells us this whole story, this whole rescue operation is something that angels desire to look into. Isn't that crazy? Like imagine being an angel, okay? You're created by the Lord, you're in heaven, you know, you're flying around with a boy who could fly, and you're like, it's amazing, we both can do this, you know? And, and you know, your spiritual warfare is happening, you know? You're reading Daniel chapter 10, and, you know, there's an epic battle against Michael the Archangel, or against uh, Lucifer and, and uh, the Prince of Persia and all those things, right? These battles, and, and you see the fall of Satan, right? You see the fall of Lucifer and all of this stuff, and then you see man and mankind's fall, and the sorrow of heaven as man's uh, rather god's special possession who he risked everything to create in his own image uh jeopardizing even his own glory and there goes man and we jeopardized it right we sinned and plunged ourselves into depravity and then what does god do angels are probably thinking he's going to wipe them all out let's start afresh but god no who's rich in mercy pursued us actually draped himself in flesh and came and lived the obedient life so that he could die a sacrificial death and substitute himself for us so that the wrath wouldn't be upon us, but that we would be redeemed back to the Father. And you're an angel, you know, and you're watching all of this, and you're like, what manner of love is this? What is this? These are things that angels desire to look into. And so now in the throne room of heaven, here comes the Son of Man ascending from his mission accomplished moment, coming up into, you guys remember that, right? George W. Bush on the big battleship, mission accomplished. I mean, I remember just being like, oh, you know, some would say the mission hadn't yet been accomplished. We're not getting into the politics of it all yet, but I still was excited. I mean, was there anything better? Flying in on a jet and getting out in his suit. And I'm like, this guy's awesome. I don't know. You know, all right. Jesus comes in. There's a big banner above his head. Mission accomplished. And the Psalms write about this moment in Psalm 27, uh, 24, 7. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Okay, so in heaven, here comes the open gates of heaven. Okay, lift up your heads, O you gates, exclamation point, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors. Someone's coming in, all right? Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Lift up, you everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. And then third day just made it for us, right? Helps helps make it a memory verse for us. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory, Selah. That's known to have been a messianic prophecy concerning the ascension of Jesus after his successful missions operation to redeem us from sin and death and hell. And so we're in that moment in the book of Acts where he's on the Mount of Olives. And I've got a little picture of the Mount of Olives just for you guys. It's a real place. You can go there. Sign up, Israel 2022, sign up for our Israel trip. You can go with us. We're going to go to the Mount of Olives. We're going to stand right up there where this all took place. So take place. So the ascension of Jesus, we're on number two, shows that Jesus's sacrifice was accepted and he was truly holy, allowed back into heaven, 
Uh, He was tempted in all points just as we are, yet without sin. And so the gates open up and there's this great hope coming, uh, the King of glory coming back. The third thing is that it marks the return of Jesus to the Father, where he's seated at the right hand of the Father, as the New Testament says. The fourth thing says that it places Jesus in a position to make intercession for us. So he's at the right hand of the Father, and now he does his job and his role at the right hand of the Father. As John, uh, no, Romans 8.34 says, this is a good thing, uh, who is he who condemns? It's Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. So the question is from Romans 8, the great 8, right? Verse 1 of Romans 8 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for anyone who's in Christ Jesus. Okay? So if you're here today and you've got just a bunch of condemnation, you just are damned by the devil because of sin that you've done, you've got to look to Jesus right now. And he removes all of that condemnation. Okay? There is therefore now no condemnation. And then later on in the great 8, 834, it says, So who is he who condemns? kind of a rhetorical question there's no one there to condemn you jesus isn't condemning you he's at the right hand of the father and he's praying for you he ever lives to make intercession for you i don't have a verse for it today but it's in the book of hebrews where it says that now we have a great high priest who is just always ready to come to our help and come to our aid okay uh the fifth thing that uh the ascension does is it makes possible the sending of the Holy Spirit in his presence and in his work. And so in John 16, 7, Jesus tells us, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And so we studied this in the amphitheater this summer as we were going through the gospel of John, that Jesus actually says, you guys, I know this, I tell you the truth. I know it's hard to believe. It's actually better if I go away from you. I mean, that just doesn't seem right. No, 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 don't leave me. Don't leave me. Don't, you know, grabbing. No, don't, you're not leaving me, you know? And he's like, I'm telling you, it's better if I go away because instead of having one Jesus right here walking around in Galilee with you, walking around in Jerusalem with you, I'm going to go and I'm going to send the presence of the Holy Spirit, the person and the work of the third person of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, okay? And he is going to come and he will be with you. And instead of one Jesus walking around, there's going to be billions of Christians running around, representing me, bringing the kingdom of God to bear on people's hearts. And that's a better thing. Shh, shh, shh. Okay, trust me on this one. It's better. You all can have the Holy Spirit and Christians, Christian, little Christs are running around everywhere now thanks to the Holy Spirit. All right. Um, The sixth thing, as is the ascension made possible, the preparing of a place to which Christians should go. And it's in John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3, where Jesus says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, 
I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And so, I didn't have this in my notes, but I'm going to throw a seventh one in there, just a little bonus one for you. Because if Jesus has gone away, he's coming back. His going away makes it possible for him to come back in glory. And we'll get there in just a second when we hear what the angels have to say. And so Jesus, right now, working to prepare the new Jerusalem for us. One day, it's going to come down out of heaven and land on the earth, new earth, or current earth restored. There's some debate on that. And as it lands on the earth, you're going to see, that's why it took you 2,000 years. Good job. Quite the carpenter, I must say. Father Joseph taught you well, right? The new Jerusalem, right? And right now, Jesus is just waiting for the go from from the Father. He's like 101st Airborne paratrooper, right? In the C-47, just sitting there at the door like, you know, waiting for the jump light. Right now it's red, you guys. Right now it's red. Jesus doesn't know when it's going to be green. But one day, he's going to come back for us, okay? You guys are like, let's move on. Okay, seven things. All right. Still in verse nine, I think. Um, And a cloud received him out of their sight. This cloud is at one and the same time the vehicle which envelops Jesus and transports him away. And it's the sign of the heavenly glory of God. It's a supernatural, it's a symbolic cloud. It's the glory of the Lord taking him up. And verse 10 says that while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel who also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. And so the angels, I mean, angels, two men in white, um, doesn't take a rocket scientist to realize that they're angels, okay? Um, These two men uh, question the disciples with an implicit reproach, one man said. An implicit reproach means that they're already correcting those disciples for just hanging around. Like, don't you have a job to do? Why Why are you hanging around here? You're sitting there, one guy said, dawdling you're dawdling there and longing for jesus to remain with you that's not what jesus said is going to happen if you listen to last week teaching you read the first eight verses of the book of acts stop dawdling get down to jerusalem and wait for the holy spirit to come all right uh stott says the apostles were not to be sky scanners all right just like like that wasn't the great commission Stay here and look up for the rest of your life, scanning the sky until I come back. He does say watch, right, on the Olivet Discourse. That is a part of it. But while we're watching, we're about his business, okay? We're about the commission. In Matthew 24, 14, Jesus had said that the gospel of the kingdom must first be preached to all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. So stop dawdling. Stop sky scanning. Let's go. Wait in Jerusalem for the power that's going to let you go to the world to preach the gospel. The angels said that Jesus will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. You know, uh, Jesus certainly indicates that his coming will be a personal coming. That 
when he comes as the eternal son, he'll still possess his glorified human nature and body. His coming will be visible and it will be glorious. As they saw him go, they'll see him come. And Luke recorded Jesus saying so himself that they will see the son of man coming in the power of great glory. So in the same way that he went up in great glory, uh, he will come down in great glory. Does anybody like to listen to great glory? Right? Harvest Crusade, evangelist like the, the Billy Graham. When you hear Raul Reese, a Calvary Chapel pastor, speak of the, uh, the coming of Jesus, he always says in his just amazing accent, and he will be coming on the clouds with great glory. And so we know the second coming won't happen until great glory goes to heaven so that he can come back <laughs> with great glory, okay? So... These are the jokes, people. Okay. <clears throat> and so the same cloud that had hidden him from their sight, that had previously enveloped him, uh, uh, and even enveloped him on the Mount of Transfiguration, it's the same cloud that took him. It's the same cloud that's going to bring him back. As one man said, it's the chariot of his coming as it had been the chariot of his going. And yet there's also going to be some important differences between his ascension and his coming. Number one, although his coming will be personal, it won't be a little private audience like it was in his ascension. Only the 11 apostles saw him go, but every eye will see him when he returns. Instead of returning alone as he went, uh, he's going to come back with thousands and ten thousands of his saints, the book of Jude tells us. And I believe this is my personal eschatology, that we will be there with him, uh, riding on white horses. And uh, when I grew up in high school, I had a wonderful black and white paint horse named Patches, and I will be riding him. So you'll be able to spot me because everyone else will be on white horses and I'll be on you know, the, the speckled one. It had like an egg on its side, so you'll know it's me. Okay. Um, and in place of his localized coming, where Jesus says, watch out if people are like, there he is, or there he is. Um, it's going to be like lightning, which flashes up in the sky and lights up the sky from one end to another. And then it will become local as he comes back to the Mount of Olives. And why don't we show that picture again, that beautiful Mount of Olives. There's, like, there's a couple different pictures that you can see um, if you just Google it. But this is just kind of that standard view. If you're standing on the Temple Mount by the Dome of the Rock where the temple used to be, uh, you look across the Kidron Valley and then you see the Mount of Olives. And, and up on the Mount of Olives is where he left and where he'll return. Zechariah 14.4 tells us that in that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. So when he comes back, He's going to land those feet back on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. Did you see it? It's on the east side. It faces Jerusalem. And the Mount of Olives shall be split in two. Did you know that about the second coming of Jesus? Then when he comes, Mount of Olives split in two. From the east to the west, making a very large valley, half the mountain shall move toward the north and half of it toward the south. A couple of verses later in Zechariah 14, 8. And in that day, it shall be that living waters shall flow from Jerusalem, half of them toward the Eastern Sea and half of them toward the Western Sea. So uh, Mount of Olives is going to split in two. 
And this spring of water is going to come. It's going to flow to the Mediterranean Sea over by Tel Aviv and Joppa. And then towards the east, it's going to flow to another sea that is longing for fresh water. Do you know the name of that sea? The Dead Sea. 30 times saltier than the ocean. When we go in November 2022, get signed up. When we go to Israel, you will float in the Dead Sea. There's so much salt, it's impossible uh, to sink in it. You can take a newspaper and read it, okay? But one day that'll be full of life again. It will no longer be desert. It'll be uh, fresh and living water because of Jesus' coming. Now, interesting thing is that a hotel had done a study to build a hotel there on the Mount of Olives, and they found that there's a great landfall there uh, that has seismic activity and a big spring of water. And so they decided not to build the hotel there because it, it just didn't seem like a very safe location. And so it just kind of shows that one day, you know, the split will happen. Uh, and it goes on to say there uh, <clears throat> in verse 9 of Zechariah 14, the Lord will be king over all the earth, and that day it shall be the Lord is one, his name is one. The angel implies there in Acts chapter 1, or the angels imply that until Christ come again, the apostles must get on with their witness, for that was their mandate. That was their commission. There was something fundamentally strange about these guys gazing up into the sky. You know, we all have children, you know, and they all do those things where they're like, And you're kind of like, hey, snap out of it. Get back to work, you know? And these guys were just kind of like. He's <laughs> like, all right, boys, okay. I don't know how long it was. I don't know how long it was. Like, literally, was it five seconds? Like, whoa, I've never seen. Hey, get to work. <laughs> I just was trying to enjoy it. <laughs> you know, uh, I'm sure the angels are very gracious people. Okay, um, but. They needed to get about their commission to go to the ends of the earth. Kind of like us at the muster, right? Let's just stay up here. Our wives won't mind. Glory, glory. You know, it's like, no, no, no. Get back down to the valley. Get back down to the mission. Um, it was the earth, not the sky, that was to be their preoccupation. Their calling was to be witnesses, not stargazers. And so verse 12 says, then they returned home to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath's day journey, about a quarter of a mile. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter, James, John, and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. Confession time. You're going to be very ashamed of me. I've never been able to memorize the disciples' names. Sorry, it's just like, Judas, James, and Thomas, Bartholomew, Mamas, you know, whatever. It's just, I mean, I could probably get it, but like all of you homeschool kids growing up, you're like, that's all we did was memorize the disciples' names. You know, some of them I mentioned more than others. Some of them it's like, come on, dude, step it up a couple of notches. Bartholomew, I mean, who even is that guy? Okay, the Lord saw something in them, but I just always turn to Acts chapter 1, verse 13 when I want to look smart and know the names of the disciples, Okay. Verse 14, and they continued there with prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And what did they do there? In verses 12 through 14, they prayed for the Spirit to come. Howard Marshall said, if the Holy Spirit is the divine gift which empowers and guides the church, then the corresponding 
human attitude toward God is prayer. We see that when people are waiting on the Lord, the Holy Spirit comes. The corresponding attitude to the gift of the Holy Spirit are people praying. It says the church prays, Marshall says, that they receive the Holy Spirit. Uh, John Calvin commented that their prayers had two characteristics. Two essentials for true prayer are that they persevered in prayer and they were of one mind. Just something like the, the muster this weekend. Just something where we gather together. We would meet again. We would pray. We would worship. We would have words on a screen to where we're singing and praying the same words in the same mind. They were uh, continuing in one accord. They continued, which means they were busy about it. And they persisted. Similar to our week of fast and prayer. That word busy or persistent or continue will be used later in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They continued together. Uh, translates homothymodon, and it's a favorite word of Luke, which is used 10 times by Luke and only one other place in the New Testament. Luke is all about the people of God being together regularly. Uh, they kept going uh, united in prayer in the united decision uh, that they wanted and longed for the Holy Spirit. Um, They prayed with one mind, one purpose, one impulse. John Stott said, there could be a little doubt about the grounds of this unity and perseverance in prayer for the command promise of Jesus. It's only his promises which give us the warrant to pray and the confidence that you will hear an answer. I mean, think about it. Jesus had just been in their sight. And at the longest point during their prayer meeting, he'd been gone for 10 days. That's something that motivates prayer. We just saw Jesus risen from the dead. Okay? And that motivated their prayer. It helped him continue for those 10 days. And he said, go and wait and the Holy Spirit will come. So what did they do? Persistently went and prayed for the Holy Spirit to come. We're going to wrap up pretty quick on this final part about the appointing of Matthias as that 12th disciple to take Judas Iscariot's place. Um, according to a uh, theologian named Henschen, Luke's purpose here is to show that the apostles, or that in the apostles, the church possessed reliable guarantors of the truth of its message. As Ephesians says, the church is built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. It's not so likely, Hanchin says, that we are to see here information about how the leadership of a church should be organized, but just a description of how they were. And uh, so let's look at it. Verse 15, in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. It seems he was one of the leaders of the disciples. In Galatians, Paul says that Peter and James and John were perceived to be pillars of the church. They were leaders among the leaders. Um, <clears throat> and uh, altogether, the number of the disciples, the names, were about 120. Now, I don't know. I'm not going to say we have 120 in here. Um, we had 105 at the muster last night. But imagine something like this in Jerusalem, where we would be praying and waiting on the Lord when the day of Pentecost happened. So it gives us, you know, being a small church has its advantage, right? We can feel a little bit of something like this as we did you hear the voices when johnny led us in worship today it was so neat at the muster last night 
I, uh, would, I was leading worship and I'd step away from the microphone just to be a voice with the other voices. And it was so powerful to hear the men worshiping and so powerful to hear your voices. It gives us a bit of what it was like there in the early church in this moment. Um, 120 Jewish men was the number that was required to establish a community with its own council. And so we see with this number, it was a legitimate community being formed with the 120. Look at verse 16. Oh, I had in my notes, why not the 500 witnesses that saw Jesus resurrected? Where were they? Well, they were Galileans. So they were most likely on the other part of the nation at the moment. Here we have 120. Verse 16, Peter stands up and he says, men and brethren. Here we have the first use of the word brother to designate Christians. Um, Hansen thinks that this was the earliest Christian designation for members of a church, that they would call each other brothers and sisters. So men and brethren, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. So it was prophetic that Judas would betray the Messiah. Psalm 41, 9, even my own familiar friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. As John 18, 3 says, Judas, having received a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Verse 17 of our text says, for he was numbered with us, this Judas Iscariot. He was one of us, and he obtained a part in this ministry. There's a parenthesis here, a little explanation of what happened to that guy. Look in verse 18. Now this man purchased a field with the wages of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his entrails gushed out. Man, the book of Acts has some, some gruesome moments, that's for sure. Wait till we get to chapter 12 and see what happens to Herod, you know, after he didn't give God the glory. But here we have Judas Iscariot going, we know, from Matthew and hanging himself. And perhaps as the studies are, perhaps his body began to dis, um, decompose and the, or the rope broke or the branch broke. Stuff was breaking, basically, uh, when Judas killed himself. And he had this fall and a gruesome thing uh, that happened to him as his intestines poured out. And that would become, that place would become what is known as Akeldama or bloody field, the field of blood. And I actually, this is, these are real places. What's amazing about the world? We have a satellite image. And, um, and so you see in Jerusalem there, you see on the, I have a, I bought laser pointers this week. and I don't have one on me. Eli found it at the men's muster. I don't know if you noticed it. Where are you, Eli? I'm going to get you, boy. Um, like, <laughs> I would do it too, actually. Um, and so up in the, <clears throat> the top, see that white square with a little tiny gold? No, keep going up. We see that part. Go up. Up, 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 up there. Okay, so that's the Dome of the Rock. That's where the temple used to sit. If you go to the right across that valley, there's a light. That, that's the Mount of Olives right there. Okay, that's where Jesus ascended. And so that just gives you a picture of what, Jerus what Jerusalem's like. And down towards the south there, where Brent was pointing as Akeldama, where there's a monastery there now, uh, that's the field of blood that was purchased. And it became a cemetery uh, for outcasts. It became a cemetery for people that didn't have anywhere to be buried. And there's a picture also there of the bloody field, or Akeldama, the field of blood. And so you know, Jesus said it'd be better for this man if he never were born. You know, jo uh, Judas Iscariot wasn't a victim of God's sovereignty or of predestination. 
Uh, he was a man who made very real decisions on his own to um, harden his heart against Jesus. Even while he walked with Jesus, he used to steal from the treasury as he held the money box. And, uh, and that's the tragic end of Judas Iscariot. The parentheses tell us that verse 19, it became known to all their dwelling in Jerusalem. So that field is called in their own language, Akeldama, that is field of blood. Um, moving right along to finish it up. Uh, verse 20, for it is written in the book of the Psalms, let his dwelling place be desolate. Let no one live in it, but let another take his, excuse me, his office. Um, you remember that James is going to die in Acts chapter 12, but they don't replace James. That's because James died a martyr death. Judas uh, died after he betrayed as an apostate. And so that 12th was needed to kind of finish out the office of apostle being sent out in that day. Verse 21, therefore of these men who've accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to that day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of the resurrection. And so here we see the qualifications uh, of being an apostle. Number one, they accompanied the other disciples the whole time that Jesus was among them. So he was there the whole time uh, from the beginning where John baptized Jesus there um, all the way to when Jesus ascended, uh, that they were witnesses of the resurrection. And so that it could be said, as Acts 2.32 says, when they're preaching, they were able to say, this Jesus God has raised up of which we are all eyewitnesses. So this new guy, whoever it was, had to be there with John the Baptist when he baptized Jesus, had to have witnessed the resurrection and been there from beginning to the end. And so they proposed to Joseph called Barsabas, who was surnamed Justice. We'll have the worship team come on up. And Matthias. So we have Joseph, um, whose name means son of the Sabbath, Barsabas. Um, But in Latin, it was Justice. Justice was his name. Nothing further is known about Justice although there was a legend that he drank poison and lived. And then we have Matthias. So you've got a guy with three names, Joseph, Barsabas, Justice, and you've got a guy with one name. Who's going to win? Three names, one name, all right? They, uh, well, the Lord picked in verse 24. They prayed and they said, You, O Lord, who knows the hearts of all, show which of these two you've chosen. This incredible name for God here is the knower of hearts. You are way maker, miracle worker, knower of hearts. Right, throw it in there, okay? He's the knower of hearts. And you know uh, which of these two you've chosen to take this part in the ministry, verse 25, and the apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And so they cast their lots, which was a common Old Testament practice to determine the will of the Lord, And the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. And uh, you don't see that after this point, that casting of lots, after the Holy Spirit was sent. Um, Some say that that because they did that, they picked the wrong guy. They shouldn't have cast lots. They should have waited. Maybe it should have been the apostle Paul. Paul wouldn't have fit the criteria uh, that we um, read of here by Peter. Um, and, but there's some disagreement. Barnhouse thinks, you know, that there was a mistake in picking Matthias, John Stott. Nope. I mean, this, this is a guy, you know, he filled the qualifications and he went on to have a, a ministry and, and that's that. So wrapping up 
chapter one of the book of Acts. Can you believe it? You guys are like, yes. <laughs> okay, that was brutal. All right, let's stand together. And Lord, as we wrap up this service, this first service today, we celebrate the ascension. Lord, we want to make it a holiday, Lord, Ascension Sunday, Lord, where we celebrate not only the crucifixion, the resurrection, but the ascension. We know that heaven still celebrates the work that you did. Heaven still has the songs about you redeeming us from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people. And there you are at the right hand of the Father with the appearance of a lamb who was slain. Lord, let us live this week with faith in our resurrected King who's resurrecting me. Let us live this week with hope in the promises that even though you ascended and went away, you didn't leave us alone. You sent the Holy Spirit. Maybe for you today, it's your first time back at church in a while. It's your first time to church maybe ever. It's your first time ever hearing this stuff. And the Lord in his goodness has brought you here today to know the hope of heaven that Jesus came and lived a perfect life to take the place of you who has lived a life full of sin. That if you would just trust in him and his sacrificial death on the cross, you would have your sins atoned for and the wrath of God would no longer be upon you. If you would believe in Jesus today and put your trust in him, you would have the hope of the Holy Spirit that you wouldn't feel as an orphan anymore, but you would have the presence of God in your life. And you can look up to the sky and watch and wait for Jesus to come back while simultaneously being about his great plan for you to be a part of the mission of God. So just right now where you're at, just in the simplest form you know how, just pray to the Lord and just say, Jesus, save me. I want to be a part of your kingdom. I want my sins forgiven. And I want to live for you. And those of us who have been with you and put our faith in Jesus, we'll also celebrate that Jesus is coming back. But before he does, he's mindful of us. He's praying for us. And he's the one who gives out the Holy Spirit in good measure. So let's rejoice in that today as we close in song. Go ahead.